You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 114, covering The First Duty and Cost of Living, with Kevin Lynch. Friends, it is flonk time. Our pal Flonk is here with us. The best of times. Here on the post-atomic flonk yes. horror. You, Matt, you really gotta step up your, um, your post-atomic horror puns. You always just say the post-atomic blank. That's not a pun, that's just an insertion. Well, yeah, you need to... If it was a pun, you would be disappointed. It's time to post some atomic horror. You, you keep saying, like, well, this isn't the post-atomic Lego show. Like, well, that, what does that even mean? It means it's not that show where they worry about the post-atomic horror and Lego. But there is no show called that. Well, there should be. So if it's not a pun, then it's a statement of fact. Yeah, and there isn't one. It is a statement of fact. All right. You, Everything I'm saying makes perfect sense. All, all I'm saying is you better bring your, your game that is better than that game when we do our live show. As per usual, you will be getting my R game. That's fine, but it's got, it's better than your U game. Yes. Okay. I cannot transition from that into Flonk's episode, so Flonk, why don't you just tell us? <laughs> Let's talk about Star Trek. About the first duty. Yes, friends, here's the tale of Wesley's first duty. The Enterprise is returning to Earth for a quick visit to Starfleet Academy. Papa Picard is giving the commencement speech this year, and he's feeling a little nostalgic. But before his children can gather around the fire for story time, an admiral calls up with terrible news. Wesley has been involved in a fatal accident. What? No, he's not dead. Why would you think that? Everyone's perfectly fine, actually. Well, except the dead guy. Wesley is in an elite group of shuttle pilots, Nova Squadron. We're led by a cadet who isn't Tom Paris. That's crazy talk. Now stop asking us for royalty checks, Ron Moore. Yeah, who says Rick Berman is a good steward of Gene's vision. There was an accident, and in the finest military tradition, the cadets have decided to cover it up. While your various inquiry boards are convening, Picard seeks out an old mentor of his, Boothby, Starfleet's Martian groundskeeper, who still manages to have some good advice for old JLP. Meanwhile, the investigation in the cra- into the crash quickly finds that the cadet's, the cadet's story has more holes in it than a hole full of holes. Wet West is called up to the ship, and Papa Picard gives him some good, gentle wisdom about telling the truth. And by that, I mean the captain of the Federation's flagship gives a stupid cadet a spectacular dressing down and all but orders him to come clean. Returning to the academy in a panic, Wesley calls up Tom Paris for help and gets pretty much the same speech, but from the other side. You're in a pretty sticky wicket there, Wes. Eventually, he decides that the needs of the many does not outweigh the needs of the few, or the one, and tells the inquiry board the truth about the crash. As punishment, Wesley spends another year in the Academy because he loves Starfleet and will always be a part of it forever, and Tom Paris goes off to prison, enrolls in a work work release program, and then gets lost in the Delta Quadrant where we have many fun and exciting adventures. That is not where he'll go to the Delta Quadrant where he'll be no triple at all. (laughs) When did we start doing fun and exciting adventures? Because, Voyager, it's Star Trek, and and Star Trek is always fun and exciting. Fun and exciting. Why am I watching Voyager? I, Imagine all the times he's going to travel. I suppose, and that's all the true. anomalies he's going to. Well, guys, guys, travel. I think we need to be clear on the fact that this is not Tom Paris. This is no. This is like Nick. This is London. Nick London. Yes, Nick. The post-atomic Tom. It's Nick. Right. It's Tom Nice. There you go. Yeah, not. Uh, 
not very subtle the exact use of that character on on Voyager, but we'll we'll get into no. that in a minute. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Flunk, what's your good thing? Um, actually, before we get to the good thing, um, because there's like the extra super good thing, I want to do my, oh, my right, quote right. first because mm-hmm. it, it is literally impossible to talk about this episode if, if we keep on dancing around the quote. Actually. So. The first duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth, whether it's scientific truth or historical truth or personal truth. It is the guiding principle on which Starfleet is based. If you can't find it within yourself to stand up and tell the truth about what happened, you don't deserve to wear that uniform. I'm going to make this simple for you, Mr. Crusher. Either you come forward and tell Admiral Brand what really took place or I will. And there it was. So it was. God, that's awesome. Isn't it, though? And... And so now, Flonk, we're going to skip you and, and uh, hear from Matt, because his good thing has more to do with that quote sure. than yours does. Hi, Matt here. Hello, Matt. Uh, we come back to Patrick Stewart as an actor a lot, and I'm just going to throw this out anyway. Uh, the dressing down he gives Wesley is almost unwatchable. It's so good. I almost resigned from Starfleet watching that thing. Jesus. Yeah, we've seen him give his, you know, powerful speeches to entire alien races and, and courts, but it's never Gods. it's never been directed at just one guy and not one of our guys, certainly, and not a kid. Yeah. <laughs> that And everyone on the Enterprise has that one thing that we've said from the beginning. They don't want to disappoint Picard. And boy, did he disappoint <laughs> Wesley Picard. Wesley sure did. Wesley, yeah. you could not have been more disappointed. Well, I mean, there's a corpse involved. It's not like yeah. it's not like he didn't show up for work one day or, you know, something. There's a there's a dead kid. Mr. Crusher, did you find this dead kid lying around? I, no. And what the fu- well, actually Flunk, let's go back to your good thing cuz I got I got nits to pick there. Um all right. I I really like Tom Paris. Um, I thought that the character was really interesting and, and uh, the actor did a really good job with it. And it makes perfect sense that they brought him into the spinoff. I agree that he's pretty good in this. He's a douchebag, but I think he's supposed to be a douchebag. He's definitely, he definitely plays an excellent douchebag. Yeah. Like I thought he did. A I didn't, I didn't. Yeah. To be clear, I didn't like him. Like I like Riker or Data. I liked him as, as the character. No. And as like he did a good yeah. job. As I liked him. Shit. Like I like Kai Wynn. Yeah. Yeah. You love to hate him. Yeah. I understand that. The The reason I wanted to jump back to that while we're talking about the speech, though, is, as you mentioned, he gives Wesley the, the talk from the other side. What the fuck does this 20-year-old kid think? Like, does he really think he can match wits with fucking JLP? I mean, mm-hmm. really? He does do the... I love his... Oh, well, Picard doesn't know yeah, anything. Yeah, exactly. We're fine. Yeah, that's... Uh, Picard doesn't the know anything. The captain of the flagship. Not, not only that. He's a captain. Fine. But he's that guy. Like, he's... As far as rhetoric goes, as far as argument goes, there is no, you know. And like he, might, would lose he an also argument. might as well have just told Wesley, your dead dad doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, like yeah. Picard is that important to him. Yeah, yep. absolutely. And the thing is, we've seen that build up. Like, after he's left for the Academy, whenever he comes back and visits, it pick, like, they get a little closer every time. Like, yeah. last time in the game, they were, like, having tea together and chatting, and now he's lost. Out. he's lost all that goodwill. Yeah. Yep. It's all gone now. Sorry, Wesley. Yeah. You're gonna have to be. You're gonna have to mow a lot of lawns to make up for this. <laughs> there's a great you're working with Boothby this summer. There's a great bit with uh, when Picard gives him the speech where Wesley tries to to talk to him like like he's his dad, like he's like this person mm-hmm. that he has a great relationship, and Picard just smacks him down. He's like, "No, shut up and listen to me." Yeah. No, he. I gave you an order, cadet. Yeah. yeah, he's he reverts to full military. Like, yeah. yeah, I could I could talk to you as a human being, but you know what? No, I am a captain. However, no cadet. one was Shut dead when up. we were talking when we were talking like that. So, yeah, 
I mean, you sat in my chair once. That was the worst thing you did before you left. What the fuck are they teaching you at that school? Mm. I mean, dead kid, that's a... Yeah. I'm, it's a pretty close second to sitting in my chair. Uh, well, I mean, it's a very important chair, don't get me wrong. It is. I mean, nobody would have sat in Kirk's chair and lived, but that's a, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> well, that's just because uh, there's the triple with a bomb Captain, what's with all these dead kids? They sat in my chair. Oh. <laughs> now help me hush them up. Yeah. What were you going to say, Flunk? I said, you know, the reason there's so many dead ki- dead people that sat in his chair is because of the triple with a bomb in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, and your bad thing? Um, that dead kid's dad is just fucking goofy looking. <laughs> <laughs> and they shoot him with, like, these low angles that just make him look even weirder. And I think that was a directing choice to make his grief seem more, you know, like the, the angle. But, yeah, because but he had, like, like, three facial expressions, and they were all... <laughs> They were all vaguely fishy. <laughs> well, the thing is, I there's a there's a category of Hollywood casting, like when they look for different kinds of actors, that's called grotesques. That's a real thing that they use. And you're looking for, like, your Sopranos, like, you know, thugs who just look mm-hmm. hideous. And, and guys like this. He would he would fall under a grotesque, like Clint Howard. Yeah, you could easily put some Frank ears on him and, and he would fit in perfectly. But as yeah, a yep. grieving father who's a Starfleet officer... Oh. <sighs> Instead, decided to put him in an extremely unflattering yellow uniform. Well, I, I, what do you think? You think blue or red would have looked better on him? Really? He had like this, think... this blocky head, and his face was all stretched out, and you really just wanted me to go yep. play Goldeneye. I. <laughs> well, yeah, you said it looked like a horrible texture mapped early '90s. We're not quite there with CG look. Yeah. I, I, we could literally spend the entire hour describing that guy in different ways because it's, mocking that's what we did when we were watching it. Not, not just mocking him, but just trying to describe him. I, he also, he's got like this weird sort of wiry hair. Like, <laughs> yes, he's mostly bald, but there's like these little hairs on the he's, back of his he's head. He's got the little um, escape. What's his face from uh, from Genesis? Like the little uh, peninsula of hair that goes up. But it's not a full thing. It's just kind of scattered. Yeah. It's... It, and he's like one of those um, optical illusions where if you look at it from the other side, it completely changes shape. <laughs> yeah. Because he looks ugly from profile, but he looks differently ugly. And his it's, mouth is never fully closed, and his yeah, eyes no. are never fully opened. So I just got to wonder what the dead cadet looked like. He's got to look better now that he's dead, right? Uh, yeah, pro- probably a skeleton. Maybe it was suicide. Than... He didn't want to live in this world anymore. <laughs> he's not. He's never looked better. We're having an open casket funeral. Ah! Well, I mean, he died in space. So, I mean, how do you yep. how do you handle that exactly? Do you? Uh, from what I've seen, you launched them further into space, ah. hmm. or maybe he just crashed into Saturn. Who knows? Yeah. Or one of the moons of Saturn. Which... He's stuck just in the rings. Oh. We'd like to get him out, but like. We can't get in there. Well, and they said they hadn't done that starburst maneuver for like a hundred years, so I assume there's the corpses of all the guys who used to do it a hundred years ago. Oh, yeah. Just floating around the rings. That's what uh, the rings are, isn't it? Just dead I, cadets. I assume so. I assume yeah, they've mined cadets. them for anything useful in the past, you know, hundred or so years. Oh, yeah. That's an just or phasers. surrounded by dead cadets and other garbage. Garbage. Yeah. Well, and a bunch of them went back in time. That's why we can see the, uh, the rings now. Ah. That makes total makes sense. sense. Yeah. All right, since we're skipping around, uh, Matt, your bad thing. What exactly did Nova Squadron think was going to happen after they executed a flight pattern that had been banned for 100 years? I mean, they're just going to land and everyone's going to applaud? The fuck is wrong with you people? 
Now, let's talk about the actual thing that they tried to do. It did look like, okay, it was sort of, again, early 90s, trying to be CG, looking kind of, look, it looked like we were watching a game of Galaga, mm. or Galaga, depending on where you're from. Um, decal, decal, whatever. Um, but, I mean... <laughs> Starship animation that Babylon 5 would be proud to call shitty. Yeah, but on the other hand, it was a display on a screen and not what we were expected to believe as an actual you know, true thing. But my point is you can imagine what it would look like. It looked really cool. Like mm -hmm. the tight formation they fly in and like the, the big fireworks that apparently you could see from earth. Like can, it sounds cool. And it sounds like something they could show off and say, look how great we are. But yeah, you're right. What, yeah. <laughs> what would they possibly get? Until you get out? to the point where you land, yeah. at which point you are arrested. Yeah. And you never graduate like the academy. Kids who... Right. He's like the kids who do great for their entire high school career, and then on, like, the last day, they get completely fucking shit-faced at graduation mm -hmm. and get expelled and don't get to graduate. Yeah, like the guy who moons the principal before he picks yeah. up his, yeah. his diploma and then you doesn't do all get that after you, man. you have what your diploma. What are you going to do about it? Yeah. This. Yeah. <laughs> Not good. No, and I'll, I'll agree with you for the most part. I can kind of see where they're coming from because they're all sort of brash, you know, hot shots mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. But, yeah. Mm. In particular in the military. Well, yeah, but I can see Wesley in particular trying to trying to reestablish his identity. That's what you do at college yep. or at military school or whatever. When you're when you're away from your parents, yeah. Finally, I'm away from my. When he's away you know, from his smother. Right from my smothering mother. <laughs> I love to make love to mother. That was a Buster Bluth quote, not an Al quote. Upon her <laughs> knee. I'm amazed we've never done a Wesley Crusher mother boy reference right? before. Yeah, you got You'd one think more that would have come up by this point. You'd think, um, but I guess we missed our opportunity. No? In fact, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump to my bad thing, which I've revised since we uh, since we put this together. Mm. There's a bad actor among the uh, cadets, but I my real bad thing is Beverly. Okay, she's written in character, like I, I believe she would do this, but still, it's painful to watch two thirds of the way through the episode when it's so clear from like five different perspectives yep. that they're lying where she's like, Oh no, my baby wouldn't do this. Oh, come on. lady. I love, love that. Even at that point, Wesley's just like, Oh, come on. Mom. Yeah. What the fuck? Really? She, I'm holding a bloody knife. Yeah, no, no. She my baby basically all just says all the evidence says that you're a big fat liar, but that can't possibly be true. There must be something that hasn't come out yet. What is it, son? I just, I love that it hasn't even occurred, it doesn't even occur to her. Now, I, I call it my bad thing, but like I say, that's totally in character, but <laughs> that character's so lame. Yeah. <laughs> she actually starts out really good when she first hears about the accident, like, she just reverts immediately into doctor mode. She's like, yeah. well, they're gonna have to give him this drug and skin graft yeah, and this amount like, of physical oh, therapy. Everything, yeah. so. And then Picard's like, you know, he he's, like, hurt, but he's fine. She's like, yeah, yeah, no, I know, I understand. And then she starts to crack and turns into my baby. <laughs> Turns it into my, my baby. baby. So Beverly's your baby, huh? Hey, maybe. All right, that got weird. You could do worse. Uh, and my my original good thing was uh, the uniforms because I love the black or uh, yeah black on the bottom like uh, uh, department color on top. Like I think they look the, way the better. The red shoulders, and... right? Um, but then I realized Wesley actually showed up uh, wearing that in the game. Oh, so he did a f that. We have seen that before. Yeah, and those are the uh, those are the uniforms they'll start out with on Deep Space Nine before they switch to the mm -hmm. other ones. They'll actually wear them on Voyager, and I just I like them. Like I like the evolution of the uniforms from the stupid jumpsuit in season one to yep. something that looks uh, kind of cool. But my real good thing is there's a character among the well, I was going to say among the five of them, but if you count the corpse as one of them, 
I I I, I made a I made a solemn vow to myself that I'm going to use the word corpse as many times as I can in this episode. You swore on your parents' corpses time. that you would. <laughs> right. Um, but um, among the uh, cadets that were accused, uh, there is a uh, Bajoran chick named Cedo Jaxa, who's just just part of the group. No big deal. She will show up again later on the Enterprise in uh, one of the few good episodes in season seven, uh, Lower Decks. Yes. And I just I love the show doesn't have a lot of continuity. Like we have the thread of Worf's honor and all that. And we have a few <laughs> other things. No, it's it's a thread. It's he loses it. I, he gets no, it back. I I completely agree with you. I just think the thread of Worf's honor is hilarious. I bet that's the book title. Yep. If it wasn't, it is now. Along with it's part of a trilogy. Along with Beverly is my baby, and I don't know what the third part is yet. Deanna Troy's chocolate mother. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, pocketbooks. We got a pitch for you. <laughs> but it, I just there's not a lot of continuity. There's not a lot of you know little plot threads they pick up and. When she shows up, Picard says, wait, what the fuck are you doing here? And I just, I like that they set her up. I don't even know if they intended to use her later, but I just, I like that we have what we don't know as a recurring character yet here. Mm -hmm. I think that's cool. Uh, what else? What else indeed, Al? Yes. What else indeed? That, that's not, that's not a question, Matt. That's just refusing to answer. No, it's stalling while I look at my notes. <laughs> ah, I see. Well, see, I'm looking at Al's notes with two bullet points that don't say anything. That, so I'm, I'm flailing and throwing it to you guys. There's a little note here that says, Al, remember to put some notes in here. Yeah. Al. Damn it. Hate that guy. I also ate the soul donut. <laughs> uh, the extremely yellow-looking Vulcan who was on oh, the... God. Uh, the worst Vulcan ever. Yeah, they tend to cast Vulcans and Romulans with guys who look sort of like that to begin with. Mm. And this guy was not that. This guy looked way more Romulan than he did Vulcan. I think he looked... He sort of squat and lumpy. And it wasn't just that he looked like he was acting like a Romulan, too. He was very suspicious yeah. and shifty-eyed and, and, like, incredulous really at all the pressure. lies that were coming out. But there was it, it didn't go anywhere. Like he was shifty eyed, but it's not like they ended up. Yeah, no, that's, that's just how the actor decided to play no. it. Instead of like, yeah. there was nothing in the script. It was just a weird shifty Vulcan. No. I mean, in an infinite universe, I guess you get one. Yeah, well, I, I, I dick, I suppose. <laughs> Boy, that can't possibly ta be taken out of context. No. I dick. Yep. Um, you actually had mentioned Matt, uh, the mm. the other uh, officer performing the uh, the inquiry. Oh, the extremely admirally admiral. Yeah, the the lady that looked like, even if you saw her in like civilian clothes, you, yeah, she's an admiral. That woman's an admiral. Yeah, no question. Like possibly in real life. And I like you know we often talk about uh, women and their roles in Star Trek and stuff, uh, mostly because my wife is a militant feminist and she makes me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I see. La she's making you right yeah, now. See last episode, true believers. But <laughs> I, I I will say the fact that we look at an older woman and say she's an admiral. Says a lot about this show. I'm pretty sure there were no admirals in Kirk's day, and now they're mostly older women, and that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. Necheyev is the one that springs immediately to mind. Oh, yeah. She's such a bitch. She's such a bitch. She's awesome. Yeah. But it's okay. A, she's dead in the books. In a, in a good way, like in a, in a Kai Win way, like you yeah. say. Like in a, oh, God, Picard, you need to, ah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that, that tends to be, like, Kirk always had those Commodores breathing down his neck, and Picard has these... Just uh, old cranky women, just always smacking them around. And again, it's not a it's not a a woman thing, but that tends to be the kind of character that always you know 
No, you have to do this. Well, I don't want to. What are you going to do about He's it? He's not really a rebellious this... guy, but they just, they for, you know, they force him to be. I, I, that, that, uh, that dynamic works really well for me for oh, some yeah. reason. No, if, if you try to think of someone who can pull rank on Picard, mm-hmm. it's got to be like a mommy figure, I think. Yep. Yeah, someone who's Picard even older. versus women in their 50s. Yeah. What's that? Someone one? who's even older and more crotchety. Like. Right. Exactly. Um. So we should talk about Boothby, the character that they've been uh, building up for five years for some reason, the groundskeeper Willie of uh, yep. Starfleet Academy. I told you you'd be back! <laughs> <laughs> the noodles! With the hoose! <laughs> um, and he's uh, he's played by Ray Walston, the uh, My Favorite Martian guy. Not my favorite Martian. Who's your favorite Martian? Hmm. I really like the Mars Attacks aliens. Yeah, I would say Marvin for me. My, That's a good Martian, too. Mine is Christopher Lloyd. Oh. Yeah. I can't follow you there, but... No. Uh, I think... You asked me who if, my favorite beaver is. You're certainly entitled to your opinion. If they, did a, uh, if they did a reboot of Next Gen, then he obviously would have to play Boothby. Yes. But yeah, I can see that. He just okay follows up Ray Walston's roles, obviously. Uh, What else? Wesley! We've got to go back! <laughs> I would be okay with him playing the Traveler. Yeah. That'd be all right. Yep. Look at my hooves. <laughs> I don't, I don't, you got a special destiny. I don't, I don't know if, uh, you know, not all our listeners cross over with our other show, Sarcastic Voyage, but we recently had um, noted comics journalist Albert Ching on, who is apparently very good close pals with Eric Menyuk, who played the Traveler. So yep. I am uh, I am third party dropping a name just for the hell of it. They're like this, he said, indicating uh, crossed fingers. Yeah, and, and <laughs> Unless you're the hooves. Traveler, in which case you have to cross your hands. Right. <laughs> uh, what else? Your last note, uh, Flonk, says, I love this episode. I do love this episode. It's a really, it's de- it's the best Wesley episode. Yeah, I would I would say that. And Flonk, you've always maintained that everyone on the show gets at least one good episode. Yeah, and th- this is definitely his. I ha- still haven't found Bevers yet, but um, yeah. Troy's is coming up. That's when she wakes up and she's a Romulan. And yeah, this is this is easily Wesley's best episode. Have we done the episode where a Ferengi scientist dies and she investigates it? I can't even remember now. I think as I remember that one being good. I guess Chain of Command, but that's not really. She's just good in it. That's no. not really. A, no, that's, that's not really I mean, her episode. No, that's not a good Bever episode. No, the the one like part two is just Picard. Yeah, really. no, I was thinking of part and, part one. Yeah, part one is more an ensemble piece, is what I'm saying. Or what's the other like, one? No, no, ensemble. I'm thinking of a different one where um okay. where they get mind linked with each other. Oh, attached. I did not care for that one. Is that the name of an episode? Yes, it is. That's a terrible title. Well, <laughs> Picard and Bever are stuck on a planet, and they're linked by their minds. They're handcuffed together. Yeah. And they have to escape from the law. Right. I also haven't but, seen that one in, like, ten years, so I might be misremembering it as being good. I, I don't know. There's that whole, I, don't, I can't believe you thought think that way about me. Like, oh, don't do that. Yeah. A, a little bit of undercurrent is fine, but don't just say... He wants to be with her. That's... If anybody wants me, I'm going to be watching that episode of Buffy instead. <laughs> Wait, which one? The the one where she's reading everyone's thoughts. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, any further business? Um, I like how we get a bunch see. of tales of uh, Picard's youth again. Still uh, oh, yeah. uh, pulling on that thread that he used to be a, a young rebel until uh, mm. until he got it all out of the system. Right. Until he got it all stabbed out of the system. <laughs> Which I think that finally pays off in Tapestry. Like, I think they just keep hinting for, like, six years. 
Yeah, and it, it's such a perfect background for him, too. Yeah, yeah. because, you know, he, he can't possibly have been that way all his life. No. Something must have happened to make him that way. And it's nice that we see that. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tell you, after seeing this episode, I guarantee you the real reason that Wesley leaves Star Trek is because every other cadet wailed on him with a uh, towel with a bar of soap. Oh, undoubtedly. <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about the doors, that they had doorknobs. Oh, yeah. That's really all. They had doorknobs. I like the doors. They have doorknobs. <laughs> yeah, but it's like a, it's probably like we were talking before, it's probably like an old building, like an old campus. Yeah, it, it adds a sense of history to, to Starfleet Academy. Like, right. It's, it's, mm. it's really old. This has been going on since, since Archer times. Like, and well, we, I was going to say, putting, putting aside my problems with Enterprise, did they have Starfleet Academy back then? I don't think so. I don't remember. Okay. No, 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 because there was no Starfleet yet. Well, yeah, but they could have had a, you know, a Spaceman Academy that they eventually called Starfleet Academy. I believe Academy. it the the Earth base Weren't was San Francisco because it's Star Trek, in, so of course it uh, Enterprise? was. Uh, they were military, but astronauts are military as well. I mean, they're yeah. you know. Well, what they did like, do, which I liked, um, this uh, goes back to with with Kirk's, where they uh, had that that United Earth Space whatever. Yeah, USPA. Um, that was kind of like they didn't make a big deal out of it. It was just like like you would see it on like their their little uniform patches. That was like right. the Earth space, and then there was also Starfleet, which was right. like the United Nations. Of space. Yeah, that's sort of cool. No, that makes sense. And and the, tying into that, that right. also actually paves over a nice little bit of continuity because in the first few episodes they hadn't remembered to call yeah. it Starfleet yet, and they just kind of got phased mm. out over Kirk's time. Not just phased, cloaked. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else? <laughs> when um when the the fishman comes to give Wesley a big giant heap of guilt for not coming clean. Oh, the guilt trip scene. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he basically just. Walks out. He's like, "I was cleaning out my dead son's room, and I found this horrible sweater. I assume it's yours." <laughs> yeah, that's about right, Mister. I don't wear those sweaters anymore. Not since Starfleet taught me how to dress. <laughs> we all dress the same. It's so much easier. Nobody can tease me for my clothes. God, is it easier? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just picture him holding the sweater up. Even here, you haunt me. <laughs> I really think he wanted to go away and change his identity. Like I said, he he wants to yep. be seen as the boy genius, but not, you know, the whiny boy genius. Burned all his rainbow shirts. Yep. Made a big deal out of it. Yep. Went and buried his talking Picard box. Grew a goatee for exactly a week. Yeah, and then they, you know, like right before he got accepted, like when he was still moving in and taking tests yep. and stuff. And they're like, Cadet, you will shave that off. I like to think they have to go through a little boot camp first. I don't think they do. Cause, oh, of course. No, they're officers, and I don't think officers do that. But That's also the feature and nobody else, so. Uh, from what I remember of reading uh, the Peter David Starfleet Academy books, everyone yells at Starfleet. <laughs> well, uh, Matt, those aren't canon. Everyone yells and everyone is pissed off. Well, also, uh, as an enlisted man, O'Brien probably went through boot camp and... Oh, I can yeah. totally picture young O'Brien being, you know, yelled at by like a drill sergeant or, you mm -hmm. know, whatever. Running around on the mud planet. Yeah. Yelled at by Kilwog. Carrying a phaser rifle. Jumping yep. through those tires. They still have the tires. <laughs> they haven't updated those. <laughs> haven't used tires in like 150 no, years. No, now they're just, but... now they're just for swings. That's why they started down. building dune buggies for starships. Like, we have all these <laughs> tires. We don't have anything to do with them. Oh, <laughs> fucking dune. All right. We're not there yet. I'd like a dune buggy to drive around on a planet. That's in character for me, right? All right. Well, you have to. Tra you can't have the captain's yacht. We'll give you the dune buggy. Sold. <laughs> done and done. <laughs> I won that one. And actually, budget-wise, that shakes out to an extra 50 bucks. Well, I'll just take that. 
I'll just pocket that. Thank Wait, you. Wait, I don't have pockets. Damn it! Damn! I remember when I was in the academy, I had pockets. I don't have them anymore, though. Yeah, that's right. Their uniforms did have pockets. That was a pretty sweet gig. And they didn't have utility belts. That's another reason why I like them. They don't have those stupid belts. Mm-hmm. Which is Not nice. so much a belt those as they're like really... a cummerbund. Like, it, it keeps the shirt down. It doesn't keep the pants yeah. up. No, and I've been looking at um, costumes for Emerald City because we do a little a little costume thing. And, um, costume thing. The, um, the, I think the reason is because the shirt sort of comes down, and then it, it's kind of awkward, the break between the shirt and the pants. And I think, you know, to keep it a two-piece, they have to put that belt there. So, yeah. <laughs> Bit of boring fashion <laughs> uh, fashion sense. All right. And if you'd like to hear more of that, you'll have to listen to the uh, post-atomic fashion show podcast. Oh, damn it, Matt. That blog is going to yell at you. Get sneaking on their turf. Nothing there. Nothing new there. Yeah. We're, we're sneaking on a lot of turf. That's okay. It's our turf now. You're listening to the post-atomic sneaking on turf <laughs> podcast. Damn it. <laughs> All right, we're moving on. How about that? I feel like this episode was called, like, Eye the Beholder or something, and then after <laughs> the first duty speech, they're just like, all right, fuck it, that's the title now. Yeah. That's your title right there. Yep. We always... Such a good fucking speech. Yeah, it is. And, of course, in the, in the Picard song. Oh, yes. Break it down and, and make it, like, fit the rhythm, which, you know, makes it even better. All right. Uh, pressing forward to my episode, which is Cost of Living, which is, which is a generic title like Eye of the Beholder, come to yep. think of it. Because I don't... I guess I kind of see what it means, but uh, pretty generic. Uh, so we open with the Enterprise racing into danger. Pew, pew, fire off phasers, bank hard to starboard, raise the mizzen mast, warp six to adventure, prow, zap! Actually, let's don't get too excited. Cause and effect had a big, exciting opening, too, and that ended up being cause and effect. Meanwhile, Worf mm -hmm. is having trouble with Alexander, which is a thing that will never cease to amuse me. I would absolutely watch the sitcom adventures of Mr. Worf, a single dad trying to raise a rambunctious son on his own, and maybe, if he's lucky, learn to give a care. Speaking of which, Loxana Troy is here for her annual guest appearance, bearing the amazing cleavage that Matt and Flonk apparently expect me to mention. Well, you could forget it. I'm not your trained monkey. You won't hear a word from me about her magnificent rack, heaving dramatically out of her... Uh, oh. I was speaking of learning to give a care, which is the lesson that Luxana teaches Alexander, because that kid really needed to learn how to loosen up and stop caring about the rules so much. <clears throat> she takes him to a dumb holodeck program that's half Cirque du Soleil, half Sesame Street, and half a terrible episode of the original series. There, they swim around in mud, listen to awful poetry, and probably do other things that various horrible ex-girlfriends have forced me to do over the years. Maybe see a ballet or go outdoors or something. Meanwhile, there's slime, or whatever. Back in Luxana land, we learn that the old bat with the boobs has met some dude on <laughs> Spacematch.com. And the dude is terrible. But Luxana is alone and sad, and we're suddenly reminded that the real Major Barrett just lost a husband in real life, and suddenly this all becomes a lot more tragic. So we meet the horrible dude she's settling for, I mean her awesome new husband. His name is Compi386, and he's brought his chaperone, Orko. And, damn it, where have I heard that voice before? I know it! Meanwhile, some parasite is eating up the valuable nutrients in the replicators or something. Now Luxana's talking to her. Damn it, that voice is going to make me insane. Who is... Oh, it's Chairface Chippendale. This episode just got a hundred times more cool. Except, rather than proving his love to her by writing Loa on a moon, <laughs> he's all stiff and stodgy like some kind of maitre d' from an old comedy. So Luxana ambushes him by showing up for the wedding in accordance with Betazoid tradition, entirely nude. That's right, her fantastic memories are out there for all the world to see. Well, except for me. I don't get to see them. And that's perhaps the biggest tragedy of all. 
also the Enterprise doesn't get consumed by slime, and Luxana doesn't marry that dude, and Worf learns to give a care, but mostly boobs. Yay! Hurrah. Uh, so, uh, Matt, how about you? Tell me your good thing. All right, so apparently my job this season is to con- comment on everyone's acting. Angel Barrett has a extremely tragic, really nice scene with Alexander where she worries about how she's going to die alone and old, and it's just very sad. We've talked about this before. She plays the very outgoing, very keeping people on their toes with her wackiness with a really underlying sadness, and we saw this uh, in her last episode um, mm-hmm. with uh, Timison, the dude that ended up killing himself, where you realize she let her guard down and she's suddenly serious and she calls picard captain and asks for permission to leave and you realize there is a respectful sort of sad person under there but she just she covers it up all the time yeah and you can see that she plays it on a couple of different levels and she does it really well in this one Mm -hmm. i really feel like like you know it doesn't come out a lot but she's still really hurting from losing deanna's father like however many years ago that was do we know how long ago i don't know but i no i I, I was saying the same thing i was about to ask do we if we know when that was I don't. I don't think we do, but I know it was. If Riker ever met him or whatever, mm. I like to think he and Jack Crusher just. Uh, I don't know. Did the starburst maneuver and didn't make <laughs> something. Whoops. Yeah. And it was Picard's idea. That's why he's so guilty all the time. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Beverly. Yeah. No. When I realized, wait a minute, Jean just died, and she's playing this sad woman who is alone. Like that just added a whole level of oh god. Yeah. Mm. And for her to show up at work and do this must have been extra hard for her. I bet. That might yeah. have been why they wrote it. Could be. And, you know, say what you will about Gene and his vision. Those two seem to be very happy together, and she must have been, you know, not uh, not doing so well at this point. No. But, yeah, she, she's always done this, and she does it even better. I think the writers figured this out about the second time she showed up. Like, wait a minute. let's. She's wonderful. Yeah, she's wonderful, but also she's really sad. Mm-hmm. And let's let's play that up. And they've done a really good job of it without clonking us over the head with it. Yeah. Because, like you say, it's just a... It's just a confession to Alexander when they're alone. And it comes out so rarely. Yeah. And, um, okay, your bad thing? So the Enterprise, Al barely talked about it in the synopsis because it's really not that interesting. But the subplot is the Enterprise turning into pink Ghostbusters 2-esque mood slime. And that may be the most boring subplot imaginable. Look. We're all here to see Luxana and Alexander hanging out and Worf grumbling about it. We don't need a scary B-plot, especially one as dumb as the Enterprise said, I don't know, and got slimed. I think, you know, we've talked about this before, where some episodes really integrate the the B-plot well and some don't. And this is the least interesting, least... uh, We shouldn't be bored when Geordi and Data are on screen. No, like the two best guys. Yeah, they're crawling around in the tubes, and it's just like I don't care. Get back, get back to the mother and the child, the two characters we should hate. Yeah, and and we actually kind of like. No, it's like it's bad, and it's almost it's it's almost like they didn't give any thought to the to the B plot at all. Just I don't know. The Enterprise is rotting. Yeah, we got ten minutes. We got to fill. I don't know. It gets sprinkled with dust and starts to melt. I guess. Yeah, I feel like somebody pitched an entire show with just the Luxon Alexander stuff, and Rick Berman or somebody said, "Oh no, you got to have the danger." Ugh, fine. <laughs> I'm scared again. Here's my second draft. Fine. Yeah. Uh, I uh, fucking Tinkerbell farted on the ship, and now it's turning into mucus. Well, you know how I love magic in Star Trek. Oh, well, I do. Yeah. None. None love magic unless it's the Rolicker. Then, then I'll uh, then I'll give it a pass. 
Nun Loves Magic was a 60s sitcom. <laughs> Which was then rebooted in the 90s and starred Christopher Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> he was the nun. And uh, Worf was the wacky next-door neighbor that tried to learn to give a care. <laughs> uh, Flonk, how about you? Um, Alexander and Loxana have a great relationship. Um, they're this pair that you would never think to put together um but once you do it like it's so obvious she's a great grandmother he's a great annoying kid and you put the two of them together and they they play off great with each other he's annoying in a way that isn't annoying to watch no like like, annoying annoying. like he's annoying wharf yeah he annoys the other characters but it's kind of fun to watch that's that's really the reason i like him is because Mm -hmm. that's basic comedy right there you got someone really sort of wound up and, and really sort of stiff and then you got someone just poking at them yeah and he he just he works as a little kid. Yeah, he totally. Like does. I think you talk about this later, but um, he just works. Yeah, he totally does. That actor's like good. he doesn't he doesn't act well. like a, a typical sci-fi kid sidekick. You well, know? we talked about this before too. I think Flunk, you brought this up about uh, kid actors. Yeah, like in sci-fi, particularly in superhero movies, but you see it on sci-fi TV shows a lot. Like they just throw a kid in for no reason. Um, mm-hmm. I think this is where a lot of the Wesley hate originally came from. They thought he was going to be one of these guys. Yeah. And because um, I'm watching the original Battlestar Galactica right now, and Boxy is just a, a waste of space. And um, Boxy. And but yeah, well, so Alexander is the opposite. The where like he's actually a really good actor, and they use him sparingly, so you don't get sick of him. But and yeah. when they do bring him out, like he works really well. Well, and we've we've talked about this. Season five has done a really good job of fleshing out the background characters. We haven't had O'Brien lately. I think uh, Cole Meany must be off making a movie or something. But we've got Ensign Rowe. We got Nurse Ogawa. Maybe into like pre DS Nine stuff by this point. That, yeah, because that yeah, was probably. in season six at some point. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we got Nurse Ogawa. We got Ensign Rowe. We got Alexander. Like we start getting these characters that show up sometimes and don't wear out their welcome, but still make the ship feel more full. Yeah, and I really like that. Um, so your bad thing? Uh, that day spa that they go to on the holodeck is just stupid in the worst traditions of the original series. There was a dude who popped out who just had this big fuzzy head that mm-hmm. looked like he should be, like, the king of some planet in the original series. Yeah, I feel if they had the like budget the back then, this would have been Shore Leave or Plato's Stepchildren. Like, it was just yeah. stupid. Oh, where's my bucket? I- I love when um when they arrive for the first time and Loxwana goes to Alexander. He this guy guards guards the place from people who are upset. Only people with joy in their hearts are allowed to enter. And I think to myself, well, Post Tomacora will never be doing a live show here. <laughs> oh, you guys no, don't want to sit in the bud baths and uh, and record a show. I can't think of anything I would like less. Yeah. Well, checkerboard that face quilts around you. Yeah. See, the thing is, I okay, I could have... And some dude to... with handlebar ears keeps on trying to talk to you? <laughs> well, it's... Hey, Matt, want to talk about my juggling? Oh, fuck off. Yeah. Who doesn't love juggling? I think everyone. <laughs> I think even jugglers hate themselves. I don't think it's, you know, it's just a thing to do with your hands, but nobody likes it. Nope. I, you know, I didn't hate the thing. I. It doesn't look like a place I would enjoy, but... I didn't hate it. It looked like, okay, we're looking at what kids' entertainment looks like in the future. That's kind of cool. But we should have seen it for maybe 60 seconds and then gone away. We spent way too we long s- in there. We spent an entire act spent in Way there. too long and, there and kept going back to it after we left. But, I mean, I like it. And it, it wasn't just that we were, like, spending time there. It's that we were basically getting a tour of the place. Yeah, and, and learning about these fake characters that we completely, like, what do I care about this? the life story of this, you know? Yeah, it's the moldy rebels of children's entertainment. Who cares? Right. 
There you go. But on the other hand, I like the general idea that there's like an interactive, I don't know, Sesame Street or, you know, Teletubbies or whatever that you can like the holodeck has that. Yeah, that doesn't bother me. What bothers me is that. No, that's the part I like is what I'm saying. Be there all the time. I don't watch PBS now. I I don't want to watch it in my Star Trek either. (laughs) No, like I said, they spend way too much time there. But in theory, I like the idea that, you know. It's not just all, you know, sexy women for Riker to fall in love with and, and Sherlock Holmes. There's there's stuff Why for not? kids. Why not? Kids too. like sexy women and Sherlock kids Holmes. Kids love oh, Well, that is a good point. No, but that was in his quarters. Ah. His harp his harp porn was specially delivered to him. Please upgrade. It came in a small brown box, unlabeled. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Ensign Sadsack is forced to deliver the porn to people. <laughs> you know, oh, this is one of my duties, yeah, he, huh? Well, here you go. Okay. Fine. I'm going to go wash my hands now. <laughs> and so how come this has been cut open and retaped? Um, I yeah, Barkley yeah. did it. I did smoke bomb. <laughs> Security check. It's random. <laughs> uh, so my good thing, there is a lot of naked Majel Barrett in here, and I like that. I'm Al. Hey, I didn't say that. It was it was crossed out here, and I, I realized, okay, in our episode guide, I love me a joke where we write something, cross it out, and write something else. Mm-hmm. And I realized strike-through jokes just uh, don't work on the radio. So It's a shame, too. Strike-through jokes are hilarious. I think they are. Say it again, and me and Matt will sing really loudly while you uh, while you read it. No, I, I don't think I'll be doing that. In the Armist voice. Oh, come on. We're hey, almost buddy. out. Don't, don't, don't fail me now. Um, I, I, I assumed we were all going to say the same thing. So I'm going to focus specifically on Alexander and his attempts to be more whatever it is Mrs. Troy wanted him to be. His ridiculous, ha! Where he's just trying to laugh and and sort of annoy Worf. Mm-hmm. And he's repeating that stupid thing he heard on the holodeck, the higher the fewer. I don't know, kids latch on to weird shit that they hear and they just, they're fucking weird sometimes. I like that. I like that he's not just a TV kid, that they're making him feel more real by just mm-hmm. making him run around saying things, you know, saying weird things and doing, you know, trying to bug his dad. And I, I just, it made him seem more real to me. Mm-hmm. And I like that. Yeah, that whole scene where he's trying to get him to just sit down and eat was yeah. hilarious. <laughs> I think I think we've all been there on, on that end of the transaction at some point. But Just shut up. But Worf being your dad makes it extra funny. Yeah. Eat your gross Klingon vegetables. There's no honor in going to bed hungry. Now eat! <laughs> Children on Ferengana are starving. <laughs> There's a moment right at the beginning when uh, when uh, they're at, they're both in uh, marriage therapy, apparently. <laughs> with uh, Counselor well, Troy. Troy usually oh, that annoyed the well. crap out but, of me. I should use that this as my time, bad yeah, thing. Not. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah. But, um... Alexander goes. All he cares about is rules, and I'm sitting there going, "No, he, no, he also cares about honor." Mm. You forgot about that. I don't know how. I I think that Troy actually is usually um, good at the sort of uh, family therapy thing. Like that's one part of her counseling that I think she's good at. But as Flonk mentioned, there's uh, yeah, she comes up with this ridiculous. Well, you have to have a contract, and uh, and everyone has to live up to the terms of the agreement. Fucking stupid. No, you He's your dad. You listen to him. That should be the okay. rule. Mm-hmm. You do not give ki- a kid equal footing in that relationship. That is a bad move, and that'll that'll bite you later. And then that got me thinking, like, she comes from a very rich and powerful family. I assume that Waxana paid for her to go to, like, the, the best counselor yeah, school that you schools. have. And yeah. this is the shit that she came out of with it? 
Also, she spent all her time with the space sorority house and not actually learn anything. Well, we we talked about this before. You and I talked about this before the episode started. Uh, flunk. It. The, I I like the idea that she's not. A, she's good at maybe one type of counseling, mm. and it isn't this. Yeah. I I don't know. We've seen her be good before, and actually, I I my good thing was. I was going to change my good thing, and I forgot. The good thing I was going to use was we're starting to see the seeds of Worf and Troy's relationship. Like, when that happens in sort of mid-season seven, it's like, what? What the? Where did that come from? But watching them in order, it's like, no, I see. They they hang out together. She sees his frustration. They kind of they share this bond, and I'm, I'm starting to see it. When he was I'm going sure to... since he got the kid, they hang out a yeah, lot. Yeah, when he was I going to so. die, she, he's like, you're going to take care of Alexander for me, right? Yeah. And and we assumed, oh god, Live. No. yeah. But it's it, you can see that closeness building, and I like that. I like that these two completely unlikely characters now have something in common, and that's I, that's good TV plotting to me because you don't do the predictable thing. You throw characters together that you would not expect. Yeah, I like that. Um, yeah. Also, going back to the contract thing, I cannot imagine uh, Lil Deanna writing up a contract with Luxana. Oh no, uh, definitely not. Yeah. Mother, here are the things that you will do and that I will do. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, little that, one. That's that's almost cute. Yeah. Now go polish the sacred chalice of Ricks or whatever it is. <laughs> I just picture Worf getting pissed off and whipping Alexander with his sash. I, yeah, I think. I mean, they would never say this, but I bet he, he backhands him. Oh, yeah. No, Smashes, I bet he wishes you know. he could a lot, I but he never he actually beats, does. I don't think he beats him. He thinks about how I, back in his day. <laughs> but now, oh, I can't do anything oh, like that his, now. His gypsy parents wouldn't have done that. There's no way. No, I might remember. I mean, being I, I'm sure it's. Um, I'm sure it's absolutely fine in Klingon culture. Right. Yeah, he might still have some uh, some residual memories from um, what the hell was the colony? Okay. Kittimer. Yeah, that could be. Um, I don't know. I like. I mean, it's not that he's a Klingon. It's he just seems like one of those kind of dads. Yeah. Again, not abusive, but definitely like a spanker. Definitely like a you know. If you're not good, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to give you something to cry about kind of thing. <laughs> Go to the holodeck, yeah. pull up the pull up the woods program and cut me a switch. <laughs> yeah, but the, the switch can't come out of the holodeck, so. Shit. Only snowballs can. Computer, replicate switch. <laughs> snowballs Six and notes. Yeah. 50% uh, uh, bendability. So, okay, my bad thing. There's, there's, this is what is wrong with next gen there, there's a few things here and there we've talked about a couple of weak characters we've talked about the the fact that they can't really serialize much but a big part of my problem with next gen is they don't adventure at all they don't go out and see new stuff there's not a lot of action where they're not fighting a rock or or a treaty or a, you know what i mean like and i don't mean i want them to go pick a fight every week but there's I don't know, and I don't want it to be like the original series necessarily, but there was a feeling of adventure there. And mm-hmm. the next gen era feels like the human adventure has ended. It's over now. The, fu- the human adventure is ended, and now it's just the human standing around and looking at stuff. And I like science episodes. I really do. I like solving a science puzzle. I like doing science stuff. But there's, I don't know, there's so much of it. It's just, they, they, we talked about this before. They've done so little exploring strange new worlds. They yep. hardly ever go to a planet where it's like, we've never seen this before. I think the last time was Darmok, and that was really cool. Yeah. No, it's a lot of diplomatic stuff and helping people with plagues but and it's delivering always, vaccines. It's always visiting a colony where people have already been. Yeah. It's so rarely meeting people on a planet that they've never met before. 
And mm-hmm. they just don't do that. And that's what they're out there for. And in the last episode, they came back to Earth, which means they must not have been very far out on the frontier to zip back to Earth. Like, I don't know. They should be they should be doing what the opening credits say that they do. I mean, say what you will about the original series. They did they ever go back to Earth? Like, uh, yeah, no. Well, yeah, but it was in the nineteen sixties. No, they went back yeah. to sixties Earth. Yeah, because they were over Earth and they got thrown back in time. They didn't travel in oh, space shit, too. That's right. All right. Fine. Yeah, but I don't know. I just I feel like they should be out there. Like I said, the sense of adventure, the sense of that's what Star Trek is to me is adventure, and these guys just aren't having it. And. No, uh, I disagree. I like that they okay. I like that they use their phasers and photon torpedoes to science half the time. I, I I really enjoy that aspect of the show. But that's not what I'm watching the show for. It is cool. And it's cool to see them solve problems and it's cool to see them you know, like that's usually what it is. It's usually Jordy and Data working out some weird thing and trying to fix it. But I don't know. But you I, I like that they that they have weapons that they don't have to use as weapons all the time. They can use them yeah. for other purposes. I really no, that's true. and they they're smart enough to to figure that out. Like they that's always an option of what whatever science they're trying to figure out. I agree. But okay, let's put this in character terms. Picard's favorite thing is finding new stuff. Whenever they find something new and weird, he gets all excited. He hardly ever gets to do that. Like, they made the captain a, a passionate explorer, and he doesn't get to explore anything. Well, I guess I'll be excited about the uh, flower, the flowers that they're planting at Starfleet Academy. Yeah. But you know, Look at that. That really puts it in, like, I didn't think of that until just now, but really, that's what Picard's all I, about. Again, I feel like they were on Earth more in Deep Space Nine than they were on this show, so, you know. But, but DS9 was a war show, and that is a type of adventure. You know, it's a type of action. It's a type of, you know. that's a, It's an Earth adventure. Right. Like, that's a whole other thing where you, you, you know, you got a war story. They went to the Gamma Quadrant and they found all kinds of weird shit that they regretted finding. Mm-hmm. We went into the neighbor's yard and there was a hornet's nest and we accidentally kicked it. And, oh, fuck, here come the bees. Yes, you accidentally kicked it. Well, okay. I see that rock in your hand. Yeah, all right. Well, that's yeah, when the friend you're making first contact. Then. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that was they, they were exploring the Gamma Quadrant to some extent, or at least the Gamma Quadrant came to them. But, again, mm-hmm. weird new stuff. New aliens, new, you know, different things. The show just feels, sometimes it feels like it's running in place, and I don't, I don't like that. And I'm not saying I don't like the show. I'm saying that just feels like something that works against No, it. that was a different episode. Right. Uh, what else? What else indeed? I don't get Alexander's Again. name. Oh, yeah. He's Alexander Ruzhenko, so he's named after Worf's parents. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't, he... <laughs> When he was born, like, Kalar took care of him for the first two years or whatever, you know, six yeah. months, but two years. I mean, there's years. no reason he would be Alexander Roshenko. He would then, be yeah. either Alexander, son of Worf, or mm-hmm. Alexander from, from the house of Kalar, wherever she's from. Like, I feel like I feel like Kalar does not go in for all that. His adopted grandparents wouldn't enter into it, though, is what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, I feel like his name wasn't Alexander Roshenko until he went to go live with them. And they adopted him and gave him their name. That is that is my no prize explanation, but it's probably wrong. Wasn't one of Kalar's parents human? Yes. Okay, so that explains where the human name But comes she from. officially said, like, I don't go in for that Klingon crap. She actually yeah. said that Klingon crap. She doesn't like it. Oh, no, actually, no, the, the Alexander part is the problem. I'm, I'm perfectly okay with that. It, no. it's, it's his last name. It's the Rojenko part. Yeah. No, you're right. I feel like Worf's name should be Worf Rojenko, and it's not. Yeah. Then that would make sense, because then he's, you mm-hmm. know. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. They're walking a weird gray area there. Well, I was, we, we talked about this too. I always figured that like, you know, 
his like it was, and then he sort of ditched it when he got all into being a Klingon. He, he became a teenager, and suddenly he's like, you know, this is my culture. You're not, you know, I'm casting off my human name. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's just Worf. <laughs> and uh, what's his face? Paul, Paul Servino is uh, sitting there going, I'm the good son. Oh, God. Paul. Uh, <laughs> actually, I don't hate that episode. I like that one a lot. I don't know about all that. Worf's brother that he never talks yeah, about. but he suddenly has. Oh, there's there's uh-huh. a lot of those. A lot of that going around in Star Trek. <laughs> a lot of those yeah, and went actually. to school together. <laughs> <laughs> and Kirk's dead brother. Oh, Christ. Uh, what else? So, uh... Laxana is lonely and gets on Space OK Cupid to find somebody, and apparently this minister had a 97% match to be in a relationship with. Uh-huh. And then they finally meet, and it's just, he is the most rule-abiding person in the world. And it's like, either somebody was lying in their profile, or they really need to like take a look at their algorithms. Yeah. Because something I- did not work here. And you would... Th- I feel like, like, Laxwana, when she was filling out the form, just put, you know, under preferences, just anyone. Yeah, she's that lonely. Or maybe she had Mr. Hom do it. <laughs> maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't, like, I don't feel like it's just, I'll fuck anyone. Who cares? Yeah. More is like, I. she seems like the kind of person who's willing to experience whatever. That's true. Yeah, and, sure, uh, I'm I mean, up for anything. I mean, we see that later in... Except boring people. <laughs> we see that later in DS9, where she tries to seduce Odo. Who can she's be definitely anything. up for anything. Yeah. Um... But like I said, maybe it was Mr. Hom. Maybe that's his ideal man. And yep. maybe the whole time he was just, oh, don't look at her. Look at me. Come on. <laughs> oh. Please. I also want Alexander and Mr. Hom to travel around their shuttlecraft and solve mysteries together. <laughs> I really felt like Alexander should be spending more time on Mr. Hom's shoulders. Yes. <laughs> well, we had, when Alexander first showed up and he was really, really tiny. Standing next to Worf was hilarious. Where basically, so he looks like if he had a he needed a handle on his back so Worf could just carry him around, or like or like ears that join in the back like a handle. Yes, exactly. Yeah, he could borrow them from that guy. Yeah, there we go. There's a nice little scene when she talks herself on the computer. Oh, I always love those. Yeah, and it shows. And I like how she knocks on it. <laughs> Hello. And she calls it dear or something like that. Oh, yep. Thanks, dear. But it it kind of shows you how how different. Like she can talk to herself and it doesn't sound like the same person but like no. she got very different delivery of course they run a bit of a filter on the computer but it doesn't you know they seem like two very distinct voices which i like yeah and i i just i don't know it's weird because you don't think the boss's wife would be a very good actor you just think oh well that's why she's there but mm-hmm. she's she's really good what's your quote al oh um there there were a lot of good choices in this one there's a lot of nice snappy fun dialogue but we always love the way picard reacts to luxana and uh, I just, I couldn't resist using this one. Married? She's getting married? Yes, if we stay on our present course, we should rendezvous with her intended in 31 hours. I will not have that woman continuing to use this ship for her convenience simply because her daughter happens to be one of my officers. Apparently, Deanna being on board is only part of the reason. The other reason being? She thinks the honor of giving away the bride should fall on you. Permission for an onboard wedding is granted, number one. Nothing will please me more than to give away Mrs. Troy. <laughs> because we, I always thought it was kind of an act, and maybe it is an act for Riker's benefit, but I, I don't know. I think maybe he does just kind of want her to go away now. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yep. Uh, okay, so the big exciting news we gave you last week is is still true. It's yep. not news anymore, but it's still happening. 
That's exciting. Uh, the Emerald City Comic Con, which we were attending anyway, and at our own expense, we're going to, to do a little live show. Uh, the con has given us an official panel that is in the program, on the website, yep. actually in, in, in the venue itself. Yay. Really excited about that. Did not expect to get that. And, and they either listened to the show or flipped a coin or whatever, but they said, hey, you're, you're worth the panel. So yep. awesome. Terrifying, but awesome. So the panel is Sunday, March 3rd at 2 p.m. It is in room 2AB of the Washington Convention Center. And if you are in or near Seattle, if you're going to the con or if you're nearby, come see us. This is, yeah, this is one of the biggest things, maybe the biggest thing ever to happen to the show. And mm -hmm. we could really get the word out to a wider audience and, and get people to, to jump on this stupid thing that we're doing. And uh, yeah. we're pretty goddamn excited about that. Uh, so final business uh, website is postatomichorror.com. You can buy our book. You can get our app. Volume two of the book will be coming out shortly with all this con stuff. We had to push it off a little bit. It'll be out in a month or two. Yeah. Um, postatomichorror at gmail.com is the email address. We're actually recording a couple of supplemental episodes coming up because we have to stall for time before the uh, before the panel. Um, so we're yes. going to be doing a supplemental show where we answer your, your mail. Uh, so post on at Gmail or call the voicemail 206-973-3982. Yep. And uh, we will answer your questions forthwith, hence, and thusly. So forth. Yes. All right, Matt, say your thing. Say, folks. At Emerald City Comic Con. Uh, uh, and, we and we avoided the armist voice for an entire hour. Good job, guys. There it goes. Ah! Too late. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, copyright 2012. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.